Welcome to the next podcast, Melanie Info. I'm your host, Lauren Ritchie. Thank you for joining me today for this episode with Ellie Stemmerding. Ellie is the owner and editor-in-chief of The Hat Magazine, editor-in-chief of Hatlines, president of the Dutch Hat Association, and a skilled milliner, graphic designer, and photographer. I have the honor of working with Ellie as a contributor of The Hat Magazine and Hatlines. I hope you enjoyed this chat with Ellie as we bring you a behind-the-scenes look at these print publications. Thank you to our wonderful podcast sponsors for making this episode possible. Be Unique Millinery, House of Adorn, The Essential Hat, That Millinery, Hatter's Millinery Supplies, Lifted Millinery, Hat Academy, Hats by Lico, Hat Mags, Marie D'Antony Millinery, Louise McDonald Milliner, and the Millinery Association of Australia. You can find a link to each of these businesses in our show notes, either in your podcast app or through our website. If you've been enjoying listening to this podcast series, I invite you to show your support through becoming a Patreon. There are two tiers available, either a podcast sponsor or a supporter. You can find out more and sign up at www.patreon.com forward slash millinery info. I hope you enjoy this episode with Ellie. Thank you so much, Ellie, for joining me today for the Millinery Info podcast. It's wonderful to have you on here. Um, we know each other quite well, getting to work together for the Hat Magazine and Hatlines, but I thought it would be wonderful to have you on here to share with our audience about your work that you do. Um, so thank you so much for joining me. Well, thank you for inviting me. I'm very happy to be here with you. <laughs> Um, the question I like to always start with is how did you first become involved with millinery? Yeah, well, I think that that, uh, that needs a bit of introduction of where I started. I've uh, always designed and made things because I was trained as a tailor at the College uh, of Fashion and used to make most of, my, uh, most of my clothes myself for a couple of years until I started to do other stuff and you don't have time for that uh, anymore. Um, I started as a buying assistant for a wholesaler after I finished my education and a wholesaler in fashion accessories. And they were uh, mostly specialized in scarves, but also cloths and hats. And I've been working there for a few years. And uh, over time, my interest uh, interest developed uh, towards graphic design. And I, I did that on the side. Uh, sometimes for, for people that I knew, for companies that I knew. And it, well, it became bigger and bigger, that part of the, of, of the work that I did. So in the end, I decided, you know what, I'm going to quit my job and I'll start my own business and uh, run a, a graphic design business. And it was also in the, in the, during the period that internet came up. So people started to have websites. That was in 1997. Uh, so I offered, uh, well, uh, graphic designs, logos, uh, but also website uh, building for, for companies, smaller companies. And um, I also offered management services uh, for interbrand uh, organizations. And that it led in the end to organizing complete events. Uh, but what, because you work for those kind of organizations, so smaller organizations and interbrand organizations, uh, they always keep asking you, oh, if you can do this, can you also do that? So, you know, so you, you, you broaden uh, the services that you offer. So I ended up also doing all sort of complex database construction, sort of programming. And um, because these all are things that all go back to creating something, designing something, making something and coming up with an, an end result. And that is also how I started with digital uh, photography, because uh, when people ask you to make a website, they always want to have lovely photos on, on the website, but they don't have any photos. And the same time that internet started and people started to have websites, it was also the start of uh, digital photography. So I thought, uh, well, if I need to end up with digital content to be able to put it on a website, Let's start with a digital image. So I bought an, a, one of the first uh, digital cameras and those were the ones, I'm really old. So those were the cameras that had uh, floppy disks in them, you know, uh, so instead of having film, you would put a floppy disk in there and you could only put a few photos on them. Uh, so I was carrying my camera with me and a big box of floppy disk, taking pictures of whatever, and they would go on the, on the, the websites that I made. 
And because of all these things that I did and, and the, the clients that I had, uh, one of the, uh, the companies that I worked for uh, and been working for, for a few years asked me uh, to join uh, their board. It was an information technology organization and I had been involved with that organization since they started. Um, and they asked me to, to join the board because they had become bigger and they needed, uh, well, to get things organized and to get a, a bigger management layer. So I was in charge of, of uh, information technology and communication for a couple of years. But that means that you're also involved with, um, well, staff running people that work for the company. Um, looking at, at strategy, which was really nice. But after six years, I thought, my God, <laughs> I can't hear any management term anymore. It's time that I start creating things again, things that make you happy. So that was in, in 2009. I really felt the need to, to make things again. And uh, that's when I decided to quit my job over there and run my own business again. But because uh, it was quite a decision. I felt that I needed to do something completely different in between, just to clear your head. And a friend of mine had taken me, well, one year earlier, I think, uh, to a um, high tea session at uh, the uh, atelier of uh, Dutch head designer, uh, Barry Rutjes. And uh, I liked the hats that were being made there. And I thought, well, this is something I would like to try, uh, well, whenever I've got time to do something like that. So I thought this is the perfect moment to do it because this was in summertime uh, and uh, she offered summer workshops, summer courses for a week. I thought I'll do that, you know, in between uh, stopping with, with uh, quitting my job uh, at this uh, company and starting my own business again. So you can start afresh. Well, and like most people, if you start making hats or if you do something like that, you're hooked. <laughs> so after that experience, I signed up again for other workshops and I started visiting uh, international uh, milliners because there are so many wonderful techniques to learn. And uh, so I started my own business in, in uh, uh, graphic design again. But <laughs> besides that, I started uh, uh, designing hats and making them, of course. So you're currently the chair of the Dutch Hat Association. How did you first become involved in the association? And then what led you to the role of president or chairman? Yeah, yeah I think that that uh, developed gradually. Um, I, I joined the organization. Oh, I was, I visited um, the, no, I became a member of the organization in 2011, I visited uh, the French event, Les Estifal du uh, Chapeau in Causal, uh, where I had a stand with uh, the, my, the, the first collection that I made. And um, next to me was uh, Jenny van Dijken, and she was a member of the Dutch Head Association. And she told me about the association and, you, and she said, oh, you should join as well. So when I got back home, I did that. I signed up and became a member. And uh, one year later, they had an, um, in the newsletter, they said that they were looking for an, a webmaster. And I thought, well, this is saying, Ellie, please uh, send us an email and uh, join us. I think when you join an organization like this, an association, uh, it can only exist and continue to work if members well put in some effort it's all a voluntary job all the work that needs to be done of course and if you do something for it for an association uh, it always works better it's more fun if you do something that you're uh, good at so uh, I signed up as a webmaster and they immediately made me the a board member as well because they thought that's easier than you know what's going on if you need to put information on the website. And I guess that I've uh, stayed an, uh, a board member since that period. Um, in 2013, I got involved with the, um, the magazine that the association made, and that was called, uh, then it was only published in Dutch. It was called uh, Hoede News, which means Head News. Um, 
So I got involved with that. Other people were making that, but I, well, I had some tips about, uh, but they would ask me about the resolution of images. And if I could take a look at some pages, if they, they had some questions about that. Um, and then in 2015, the people who were running it, they were uh, students, a few daughters of, of the members that were in charge at that moment, and they were busy with other stuff. So I ended up uh, all of a sudden being the only one still involved with the magazine. <laughs> and for yeah, there were a couple of reasons that we thought, okay, let's publish a few of the issues, two issues in, in English. So when I went to Cosada again, to Les Estival du Chapeau, uh, we gave them to people visiting the event. We also sent a few magazines to uh, people in the head industry that we thought, well, that's interesting to let them know what is going on in the Netherlands. And people responded very positively to, to having a magazine, you know, a printed magazine about heads. Uh, and it made me think, okay, maybe we should continue making an, a magazine in English. And that was in 2015, but then we need an, a different name, something that people understand instead of uh, Who the News. So that's when headlines, uh, when Who the News was transformed into uh, headlines. And uh, well, as I was publishing this magazine, making this magazine, you start traveling. Uh, um, well, traveling, we already did that because with Peter, my husband, he has got an international business. So everywhere uh, we would go and I would join him. Um, I started looking, uh, are there any interesting hat makers or head shops or events or whatever uh, in the same area? And I would visit those, do an interview and uh, well, to have some extra content for headlines. And this way, um, I was presenting the, the, the organization, the Dutch Head Association, I think already, well, in a lot of ways, because I always talked about the, the Head Association. So at some point I thought I'm already representing the organization everywhere I go. So, and we are without a, a chair at the, uh, at the moment. So why not make it official? Although I not necessarily need to be the person in front, well, this is just the way it happened. And uh, so, yeah, that's how I became uh, uh, the, the chair of the uh, Dutch Head Association. And you have a, a board of members, but what does the structure of the organization look like? Do you need to be a milliner to be a member? How does that work? Yeah, we have a, a quite a wide variety of members. You know, the, the Dutch Head Association started in uh, 2004. And uh, what the aim, of course, is to bring back head into fashion uh, and promoting the professionalism of millinery and milliners. But it's not just for, for milliners, because uh, we have uh, well quite a wide variety of members. So there are uh, people that uh, make hats for a living or have a head shop or suppliers of uh, millinery materials. But uh, we also have a lot of members that just like to make hats as a hobby or uh, people that uh, just love wearing hats. And we even have some members that uh, like to read about hats uh, uh, because they like the magazine and that's why they are involved. And that is a, grow, a very small group, of course. But so we have a wide variety of, of uh, members as long as you're interested in uh, uh, in hats and everything that is involved with that, you're welcome. And we started as, as an association with only uh, Dutch members, but soon we also had a lot of Belgian members because in Belgium they don't have an, uh, their own association. And half of the country speaks the same language, so that makes it a lot easier, of course. But since we started uh, with uh, headlines, the English version of, of our magazine, uh, well, since that moment, we have a lot of international uh, members as well, even a lot in Australia, I have to say. <laughs> yes, yes. Very, very, it's very popular. And people are members of both the um, Australian and the Dutch Association. It's a great, great network to be part of. Yeah. Um, and you were publishing Hatlines, but a couple of years ago, you became the owner editor in chief of the Hat Magazine. Could you share a little bit about how that came about? Yeah, I, that was 
I was as surprised as everybody else that that happened, I think. <laughs> I received at the beginning of 2017 an email from the previous owner, Carol Danford, who asked whether I would be interested in taking over the head magazine. And um, well, I had to read the email again, whether I stood it a few times, whether I understood <laughs> the question properly, because I had not expected anything like that at all. And of course, uh, my husband, uh, Peter, like most men said, yeah, you should do that. I thought, well, let me think about this for a second, <laughs> uh, because I want to be sure that if I do it, I want to be, I want to do it properly. So I want to make sure that I feel like I'm up to the job, you know? And of course, we, uh, I had already been making headlines for a few years, but that magazine is for the whole uh, trade industry. Um, the, um, the content is uh, well, different from what we are offering in the headlines. Uh, and also it's uh, twice the size. So it's a difference. And it's also because I started with headlines only two years ago, I felt like I can't just say to the Dutch Head Association, okay, good luck with the magazine. I haven't got time for that anymore. And I knew that the head magazine was going to be, uh, well, quite a challenge, not just in, in uh, getting the hang of it, but also it's a lot of work. So I thought I need to uh, feel comfortable enough to think that I could do both, at least for a few years before I say yes. So I've been thinking for that for a while. And then I thought, okay, well, let's give it a try. But we had already uh, planned a trip to uh, Australia. To we, I wanted to visit. Uh, I'd never been to Australia before. I knew that it has a very uh, vivid, big, uh, <laughs> a millinery um, world and an association that organizes a lot. So uh, I definitely wanted to go there one, uh, at least once. And I asked my children, would you mind going to Australia on a holiday this season, uh, this summer, I mean, and uh, by the way, my, my children are half Indonesian, so, and we had never been in uh, Indonesia before, and neither had they, so I thought maybe we can uh, do a combined holiday trip and visit Indonesia as well, because, well, we are already on that part of the world, and they, they didn't mind, of course, so we, we already booked that trip, and uh, when I uh, received a, qu a question of taking over the head magazine, so we bought the magazine in the summer of 2017, uh, then it, everything was finalized, and that was a few weeks before we took off and went to Australia and to Indonesia for the longest holiday trip I've ever done because I think it was for four or five weeks. Um, so I ended up, while I was in Australia, uh, doing a lot of interviews because, okay, now that I'm here, I can bring all this information back and use it for uh, the head magazine for the first issue that we are going to publish. But also because it was all a bit uh, last minute that it, we had the final confirmation that this was actually going to happen. Uh, I didn't have a lot of time in advance to, to prepare myself. So uh, while we were at, uh, on a holiday, and uh, especially when we were in Indonesia in the mornings, I would uh, work on the magazine, start thinking about the layout, um, write uh, all the, the, the interviews that I did, and, uh, and then have a nice lunch at the beach. And in the afternoon, we would do whatever we like, have a nice dinner, and do the same thing the next day over and over again. So that was a nice pro uh, way to get prepared. <laughs> and that's where we met in when you were over on that trip in Adelaide at the Hats Off to Adelaide convention. Absolutely, um, yes. <laughs> when you took over the magazine, you um, kind of, as you mentioned, you did a redesign of the graphics. How did you um, approach that? And what were some of the main things you were looking to achieve in the redesign? Well, when I uh, when you take over an, an, or when you start when you take over a magazine or whenever you get a job a layout job, you can give the same job to ten different designers and they will all come up with a different design. So when we took over the magazine, I also told uh, Carol, uh, "Be prepared; it's going to look differently because everybody does it something like that in in their own way." So. Um, 
and looking at the magazine and why, well, the first thing I thought, okay, who reads a magazine and why do people read it? So I contacted people uh, or everybody I met. I said, okay, tell me, why do you read a magazine? Why do, which parts do you like? What are there things that you like less or, and well, one thing that everybody said was uh, they read it for inspiration. That was the one thing that everybody mentioned. So that made me think about uh, design that you need to uh, represent it in a way that you feel inspired when you read an article. So layout is very important when you want to bring a message. And uh, so the, the, the content, the text and the graphics and the layout, it all needs to be balanced out well. Um, quality of images, it's something I'll, I never get bored of talking about quality of images. <laughs> <We've> <laughs> you can ask me whenever you want, I'll do a presentation about that, yes. <laughs> uh, so um, that is very important because uh, people in the industry, everybody in the head industry is very passionate about what they make, about their work and they're proud of it. And that should be represented in, in the, the images, in the information that you show to the rest of the world. And nowadays already, uh, it was very important. Uh, you know, images have always been important, but the, the importance has only grown, uh, especially when internet started, your website. So it's not only the people around you who see what you're making, but a bigger part of the world sees what you're making, social media, absolutely changed that of course the whole world looks at it every day what are you doing what are you making and if you made something incredible and you take a picture of that and you don't show it well people don't see that and also if the the, the images that you take lack quality uh, it doesn't do justice to justice to do the beautiful design that you made but also, um, I think the way you present yourself should be embellished with the quality of your work. You know, it um, enhances both. It makes everything better and look better and people understand your message better. And this, this is, was something that I had in mind when talking about the layout of the magazine. So we need good quality images. Uh, the, we need a clear layout. And then it comes to personal taste, of course. <laughs> So, like I said, uh, if I would give the job to somebody else and they would need to do the, the layout, uh, they would come up maybe with something completely different. No, they would come up with something completely different. And the, the layout of the first issue I did uh, myself because I, well, I did, at the moment I didn't have an, 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 uh, an opportunity to organize it in another way. But I already had somebody in mind that I uh, wanted to hand over the biggest part of the layout of the magazine uh, because I had worked with her before. And that is uh, Susan um, from uh, Shubalu. And we have a, a similar kind of aesthetic when it comes to design. So uh, I still do a few uh, specific uh, parts of the magazine, the layout for that I do myself. And she does all the articles and, and the interviews and, and, uh, so, and she does a brilliant job with that. But it matches perfectly. So very happy with that. And this is one of the things that I like. I, uh, I like to work with other people. I like to work together because I think working together makes everything better. And uh, it's something that I enjoy because you can um, bra do brainstorms with each other. You get feedback from each other. But just by talking to each other, you inspire each other, you get a lot of ideas. And well, we know each other very well, like you said in the introduction, Lauren. And um, I've, we met for the first time, like you mentioned, in, uh, in Adelaide in uh, 2017. And I think it was one year later, uh, or when we met oh, again in London. Oh, time passing by, but yes, I think it was 2018, yes, in London. Yes, that, that was in London at uh, London Craft Week, and, uh, and there was a beautiful exhibition uh, organized by, uh, by Rachel Trevor Morgan, by Edwina Ibbotson, and uh, Noel Stewart. And they had an opening evening and that's where I saw you again. That was great. <laughs> and uh, so we talked to each other and you told what you were doing in, in, uh, in London because you were working at that time for Edwina, I think, in, in yes. her uh, workroom. 
And uh, I asked you, would, when I, I learned that you were staying for a longer period in London, whether you would be interested in being our, uh, well, re reporter in the UK, as I live in the Netherlands myself. So that would be uh, very useful. And uh, I was very pleased that you said that you would like to do that. Well, and, this is what I, <laughs> and this is what I really enjoy, you know, working with, with other people and talking to each other. And uh, it gives you a lot of energy. It gives you extra ideas. I think it makes everything better because uh, people come up with different ideas or when you've got an idea and they throw something, uh, they come up with an even better idea or a way to improve it. And yeah, and that, that works both ways, of course. So uh, I love that. Yeah. And working with both um, Hatlines and the Hat Magazine, you mentioned that um, when you were thinking about taking on the Hat Magazine, um, about defining the two magazines quite independently. Um, and this was something that I thought was really important because I get to contribute to both of them. And uh, when we were first talking about it, um, on the surface, they both appear as Hat Magazines, but how would you define the difference between Hatlines and the Hat Magazine? Well, I think there's a clear difference between both. And people asked me in the beginning often, oh, are you going to merge both magazines together? And I thought, no, why, why would I do that? Then you can read only one magazine instead of two. More is better in this case. And uh, it's also that I think there is a, well, I think it's clear that there is a difference be between both magazines because the head magazine is for the international head trade. It's, it's uh, bigger and, so there are also a lot of manufacturers involved and what is going on in the trade uh, developments. Uh, you know, it's not only, it's for, well, about as, every aspect of the, of the head industry. And whereas uh, headlines is more for milliners and head lovers. So it's got another approach and uh, we make it, it, it is a magazine, uh, although I have been running it for a few years now, it is the magazine by the Dutch Head Association. It's not mine, I'm the editor-in-chief. And the focus is differently because this is more about the people involved with the association, but they want to learn about, uh, well, uh, the rest of the world as well, of course. So it's not like we are only interviewing uh, people that are involved with the association, but we show more uh, what is going on in associations as well. And uh, I also love to include other associations and, and members of other associations and events that other associations are organizing uh, just to, to make them more visible. And I think, well, as you know, as the president of the, the Millinery Association in Australia, it is a voluntary job and it's run by volunteers. Uh, everything needs to be done on a small budget that is quite a challenge every now and then. So whenever you can support each other and help each other with things, um, we should do that. And planning the two magazines, um, what is your process for the content of the magazine? Yeah, with, I'm a bit of a, a planner. I like to plan ahead. <laughs> and uh, I like to have a planning for at least one year ahead. And it's not like all things then can't be changed anymore, but that helps you to organize your thoughts and to know where you're going to. And also um, when you go somewhere, you pick up things that you think, oh, this could be interesting for this or that uh, article, you know? So that, that helps you to get things done in the end to get them uh, uh, organized. So when I start, um, there's always, uh, when we are going towards the end of the year. No, not even towards the end of the year. I think when we are some way halfway, uh, I think uh, we should look at the planning for next year. Uh, so what I do, I start with a frame. I put in the, the regular art items that you know that will uh, show up in every issue. Then uh, I look at the, at the items and articles that uh, will be published uh, in a specific um, issue because, well, you have Royal Escort, so that will be in the August issue of the Head Magazine. And uh, there will be a report about that in the summer issue of Headlines. So then I put all in, in all these uh, um, specific reports and, and items. And then I uh, think, uh, look at my list of all the ideas that I 
came up with in the previous periods and I put that all in a list and look at it again. I think, oh, this would be nice for that issue and this one for that issue. I like to work with some kind of theme if possible, especially for the head magazine. And um, well, and then I call you, uh, Lauren, I sent you an email and say, uh, let's do some brainstorming. And then you bring in also your ideas and thoughts and we mix them all together. And uh, we come up with something that we think, okay, this is a, a nice frame for next year. And then during the year, you start uh, fine tuning the closer you get to an issue, uh, the more precise you get about uh, the, the articles that, uh, that you are going to publish that you, that will be uh, in that uh, issues. And then um, I start contacting people because we have a lot of contributors. Over the years, more people have, have joined the, the team, which I absolutely love because we have people from all over the globe now. And so you have people who meet different, uh, they have different contexts, they have uh, come from a different millinery or headworld or, and that all helps to make it more interesting, I think. And so I contact those and, and, and talk about, well, well, I thought that maybe you could do this or that, or in that issue, you could do something about this specific uh, subject. And then afterwards, you need to keep track of all the, the articles, images, write your own articles. And the same goes for headlines, because uh, both magazines are quarterly publications, and they, uh, the deadlines for those are uh, in between each other. So every six weeks, we we have a deadline. <laughs> yes, we do. <laughs> um, and at the moment, I'm, I'm in Australia, but you're in the Netherlands, and we've both as with everyone, um, being in lockdown due to COVID and the virus and the global pandemic. How has that impacted the content that we produce or you produce for the magazines? Well, I've had a few nightmares. At the moment <laughs> that the first lockdown was announced, <laughs> I looked at my planning and while well, the lockdown was announced, well, that was not that bad at that moment, but the moment that the first events were canceled, and uh, meant no more for so, especially for the head magazine, no more trade shows, no more big head events. So Royal Escort, for example, uh, couldn't have any visitors. I looked at my, my beautiful planning for a whole year ahead and I thought, oh my God, the first so upcoming gone. issue. <laughs> I have about 20, 30 empty pages, you know? <laughs> so that was a bit stressful, I have to admit. And um, Coming up with, with ideas to replace those articles is not the hardest because we have plenty of ideas. Every time we start brainstorming together, you and I, we uh, end up with, with the conclusion that we need a third magazine because we are not able to go to get everything in the two magazines. <laughs> but time-wise, that is not a good idea. So we stick it to two at the moment. And... Um, but getting everything organized, that is really a challenge uh, because you need uh, to do more yourself, which is really a bit of a challenge or get more people involved, uh, making uh, the articles, writing the articles, but especially, and I'm back to my images again, getting images from everything because um, it is even more important now that, that people can bring you, send you, uh, high quality images. Uh, if you can't go there yourself, I love to go to visit people, to visit workrooms, to visit events myself, mostly because it's great to meet people. It's so, um, and this is the one thing that I miss the most at the moment, meeting people, seeing people, because when you talk to people, it's always energizing, inspiring, you get a million of ideas talking to people and uh, it's great and you learn so much and you want to share all this information, all the things that you uh, heard with others. And that is completely different if you can't go anywhere anymore. So you, uh, and you don't accidentally meet people anymore. It's not like you run into somebody at a trade show who mentions something on the side and you think, oh, that's interesting, tell me more. Things like that don't happen anymore. So you, you need to actually plan everything and to know what you're going to do and know who you're going to contact and where do you get this information and, and um, images, like I said, how do you get quality, high quality images because a magazine print uh, needs high resolution images. 
and somebody can tell a great story and will still be a great read, but without images, it has less impact. So that was quite a challenge. And also with the trade shows, normally I would visit a few trade shows, take photos, talk to people, and I would put together a report. And now you have to send out, well, before you have got all the information you need, uh, you have sent out a few hundred emails. Well, that takes some time as well. <laughs> so yeah, it is a bit more challenging this way. You've mentioned quality of images and we, that's something we do talk about and is one of the biggest challenges for our print publication, but also um, as a small business, you mentioned the value of people producing their own quality imagery. What are some of your tips and tricks to milliners and hat brands about um, producing high quality images and what does a high quality image mean? As I think this is really important, I... Uh did an article about this subject during lockdown because the, the importance was even more clear to me. Uh, so in issue 85, I uh, wrote an article about uh, digital images, which is, explains what, what resolution is, because that is always hard if somebody sends you an image and said, but uh, it, it looks like the, this file has a big file size, so it must be high resolution images. And that is not necessarily so. Uh, so I explained there what high resolution is and uh, how it works and this uh, article is um, uh, I also put it in we have a, an, an app a Hatmax app you can download it uh, on uh, if you have an iPhone or an iPad uh, unfortunately we can't offer it uh, at, for Android at the moment but we will be offering a web version of uh, this app and the issues in it um, end of September um, and there are a few free issues, few, uh, viewing copies in there, uh, and also a few articles that you can read uh, without any charge. And one of those is the digital images. So uh, if you're interested in this uh, subject, I would definitely recommend uh, reading that. But in general, when you take pictures, it depends what quality of your image should be, uh, depends on what you want to use it for. If you just want to post something on social media, or on a website, you don't need high quality images, but you never know where your image might end up. If you take, uh, if you've got a great image and you've taken it in a lower resolution or with a, a poor quality camera and you can't use it in the end, more people are interested in it or it shows a great example of what you're doing. You won't be able to use it uh, for other purposes, you know, you can't, it can't be printed anywhere, for example. So I would always um, advise to, to uh, take a picture in the highest resolution that is possible for you. I don't mean that you should have all your, for all your photos or all your designs should be taken by a professional photographer. And uh, nowadays, despite the, the fact that you, you should have uh, enough budget for that, which is not the case for everybody, of course. Uh, but also, well, during this pandemic, it showed that it's not possible to go anywhere or have things organized in a way that you would like. Uh, so it is nice if you can think yourself. So consider buying a camera, you know, and... and um, that has a quality that is good enough. You don't need to buy a high-end camera, but that is good enough to take some pictures yourself that, uh, that you can use in different ways. And it, you don't need a complete photo studio. It's very easy to set up um, a space somewhere. You can even just tape a, a white paper to, to your wall and put a, a small table in front of it with, with an, an, uh, a mannequin on it put in the, the uh, hat on top and take a picture of that way. And it can look great. The main thing is that you have to consider is light. You should always take a photo with the best light conditions possible. So that means do, do take a photo if you do it at home, during daytime, next to a window. It doesn't mean that you should have uh, straight sunlight on, on your subject, but you should have light. Uh, that is very important. And nowadays, I normally I wouldn't advise to use your phone, but nowadays phones, the cameras on phones are getting better. So they are useful in some situations to use, or you don't always have a camera with it. So use your phone to take photos, but keep those things in mind that uh, you should have enough light. If you want to take a, a, a photo 
when you're at an event, you can't change the light condition, this, uh, the light situation, obviously. But if possible, and you see somebody or, or somebody wearing your hands, ask the person, can you stand over here and then take a picture, for example. Uh, that really helps. And uh, so, and, and if you at home, you want to take pictures and you haven't got perfect light conditions, you could always consider uh, buying like a LED light. If you look on a website for photography equipment, uh, you can find a sort of a LED light. So it's not a flashlight. It's just a light that you can turn on and you can change the, the, the color of the light and you can also turn it up and down so you have more or less uh, light coming from it. And they are in between 100 and 200 euros. It could be worth the investment if you want to take proper uh, photos. Or instead, if you have an, an, uh, an ordinary light at home and you can change the light bulb to daylight uh, bulb, that also uh, can be very useful and, uh, to take photos. Also, when you take a photo, don't put the light source straight on, on your mannequin or your model. And then you've got this, these big, sharp shadows behind you. That doesn't look nice uh, as well. You can direct the light towards the wall next to uh, the model you're photographing or to the, to the ceiling, for example. So you have indirect light that always gives a nicer, smoother result and not with the sharp edged uh, shadows. And also take it always look at the background um, because it is, you have to decide about what your subject is. So if you want to take a picture of a scene, you want, well, most of the information in your photo to be in focus. But if you want to take a picture of your head standing out at a, in a crowd or somewhere, then that should be the focus of your uh, photo. So, and then you need to work with depth of field so uh, that you only want to have your, your model, your head in focus and the background uh, fade away. Uh, and that means that you have to change an aperture when you're taking a picture. And a wide aperture means that uh, you have a wide lens opening and that creates this effect where you have a, a sharp, crisp image of your head and a faded background, which is lovely and uh, well, gives a really brilliant result. Also, always take a look at the background and see whether there are any trees uh, growing out of the head of, of the person you're photographing. <laughs> what is in the background? Yeah, that, because that makes things look a bit silly <laughs> and that the, the background is not too crowded if you want to be able to see the actual design of the head. So these are just a few tips. Number one passion project next to hats right there. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> so you're based in The Hague in the Netherlands. Um, what is your studio space like? Do you make hats from it? Do you produce the hat magazine there? Tell us about your working working spaces. Yeah, I do all of that. <laughs> so I, I have a beautiful space at the moment. The, in the previous house where I lived, I um, the, the, well, when I bought it, I didn't know that I was going to make hats where I wasn't looking for a space for myself where I could actually do whatever. Um, so I ended up there in, in, a, in a small room that hadn't been used at first for anything because the previous owners planned to make a shower in there and they hadn't done that. So it was sort of still waiting for some attention to, to be turned into whatever. And this was one and a half meter by one and a half meter. So when I started sewing again and making hats, I thought, uh, ooh, this could be my workspace. And it was really small. So I managed to squeeze a, a table that was one and a half meters wide, in, wide into it. I bought it uh, and uh, well, at, at uh, Ikea. So you put it together and you think, so this is nice. It's going to fit exactly. But I had forgotten that on the floor or on the wall, you have the plinths. So the, the, the legs, they were also one and a half centimeter wide and I had to push them in, squeeze the table in between the walls to be able to fit that. It was that tight, but uh, that was a nice space. When I moved to this space, we are here now since 2013. Uh, one of the reasons we bought it was because there was already an atelier in here. The previous, uh, no, not the previous owner, the, the lady who built this house in uh, 1920, she was a female painter. So she had on the top floor, a big atelier, but with uh, high windows on the north south, 
side of, of, uh, of the building and with an, uh, a big glass ceiling uh, as well. So the light is beautiful here. It's a wonderful space. I started making hats here, but now it is turned into a half, no, let's say three quarter of the, the, the space here is still for hat making. It's still waiting for me. <laughs> and one quarter is filled with big screens uh, that I use to, to make the magazine. Uh, so this is where I sit every day. Nowadays, normally I would also go out and travel and go somewhere. But in the past one and a half year, you can always find, uh, find me here in this space. And when we took over the hat magazine, somebody, somebody said to me, so that was the last hat you made. You won't be uh, able to make hats anymore as long as you're running the magazine. And I thought, that is not going to happen. So I kept that in mind and I thought, I, I love making things. I should be able, I should make sure that I can still make some hats every now and then. Not, of course, for others, but... Well, let's start with me. I thought that's not such a high goal, but that has been quite challenging in, in the past few years because running uh, the head magazine and headlines and in between, for some reason, I thought it was also a good idea to help Marianne Jonkin produce her book Head Couture. Um, that has been quite challenging. So it meant that I didn't really have uh, time to make anything at all, even for myself. And this summer I felt, okay, this is not good. I, I had the same feeling like I had, you know, when I worked for this other company, not that I don't like to work anymore that I do. I love what I'm doing, uh, especially because all the things that I've learned over the years, my previous career, everything comes together in, in producing this magazine. So I absolutely love it, but I want to make things again. So, um, one month ago, one and a half month ago. Oh, we, of course, when we went to Royal Escort, uh, we had to go in, in quarantine uh, for five days in advance because we live in the Netherlands. If you travel to the UK, uh, you can't just uh, enter the, the country without being tested a lot. <laughs> and having stayed away for five days for the, for the, from the rest of the people to make sure that you're not bringing any new variety of uh, the COVID uh, virus into the country. Um, and during that, that period, I needed to do something. So I thought, you know what? I bring a block with me, and, uh, a bandeau block that I bought four years ago from uh, Karen Washburn. And I started making bandeaus. I've made so many since then. <laughs> I love making things again. That's wonderful. And you mentioned in the, the book with Marianne, um, how did this come about? Because that turned into quite an amazing project. Marianne, she had been talking, I had to visit her, her uh, space a few times because she, uh, she does uh, uh, workshops and courses, but she doesn't teach, she doesn't uh, do a workshop on a specific subject. She just uh, offer spaces in her workplace so people can uh, come over and uh, sign up for a space and say I want to make this or that and I used to come over to her at first because I wanted to learn uh, straw stitching uh, with a straw stitching machine I bought a machine and I love doing that and after that I kept coming because I liked meeting other people there as well. and she once mentioned that she uh, well, wanted to write a book about uh, millinery techniques because she said, well, I'm getting a bit older and I'm afraid that otherwise my knowledge might get lost. Um, but yeah, well, it was sort of a dream. And how do you organize that? I said, I know how to organize something like that. So if you need any help and if you actually want to do it, let me know. I will help you. So that's how it started. So at some point uh, she, uh, she called me and said, uh, well, I think it's about time. <laughs> I'm ready to do the book. <laughs> and that's how we started. And that's fantastic. And we did do, um, there's a Millinery Info podcast with Marianne where she shares a bit more about the process of the book. So if anyone's interested in hearing a bit more about that, I think that was well, um, a couple of episodes ago now, but um, click back through the feed and you'll find our interview with Marianne where she talks about that process more. Um, it's been so wonderful to talk to you, Ellie, about Hatlines and Hat Magazine. What are some upcoming articles that you're looking forward to sharing in the magazines? Well, as, as I just mentioned, uh, we man did manage to get into uh, Royal Escort this year. And that was, well, it has been unsure for quite a long time. 
we knew, of course, that the event would be organized, the races would go on, but whether uh, it would be possible to have visitors uh, was unsure for quite a long time. So the moment it was announced, uh, we thought, oh, we have to apply for a press card. And luckily we did get that. So it was great to be there. And we have a full report in the magazine uh, about Royal Escort again, about the heads of Royal Escort, of course, in the upcoming August issue. And I'm really pleased with that because, well, last year there wasn't any report. And that doesn't feel right. You can't, I mean, it's the, the main, one of the main head events for the head magazine when you talk about head events i'm really glad that that we that it did go on uh, with visitors and that we did manage to get in so uh, i'm looking forward to seeing that in print myself <laughs> one of the other things that i'm uh, very pleased about is that uh, after a lot of preparation that we will finally be able to offer the magazine end of September, uh, also as a web version. So now we offer all the, the subscribers to the print version. They have access uh, to uh, the iPad version as well. So you can read it on your your the magazine that go uh, with your uh, subscription. You can read those issues on your iPad or your iPhone as well. But uh, end of September, we expect to be able to offer a web version as well which means that if you don't have an iPhone or an iPad, you can also read it online if you have a subscription or you can sign up for an online subscription without having uh, an iPad or an iPhone. So uh, yeah, I'm, it took some, it took a while, but I'm very pleased with that. <laughs> That's so exciting. And um, I have to say, I when I see, I know the release dates, but I also pull out my iPad on the day that it's released, but there's also nothing like receiving the printed version in the post. So I'm a fan of both. <laughs> <laughs> I agree. If I want to look something, if, if I'm somewhere and I want to show somebody something or talk about the magazine and think, oh, pity I didn't bring it with me. And then I think, but I did. <laughs> and you can look at your phone or your iPad and show it to people. That's great. And also when, when you look at it on your iPad, you can zoom on, uh, in on details which is great as well thank you so much for joining me today ellie to tell cats it's been fantastic to hear about all your projects um and we'll look forward to seeing the next issue of Hatlines and hat magazine out soon well what's wonderful to speak to you again lauren and i look forward to our next contact thank you for listening to this episode of millionaire of Hope with ellie with each podcast, we share some images with you on our social media. But if you head over to our website, you'll see some more pictures relating to this episode. I'd like to thank our Patreon podcast sponsors, Be Unique Millinery, House of Adorn, The Essential Hat, That Millinery, Hatters Millinery Supplies, Lifted Millinery, Hat Academy, Hats by Lico, Hat Mags, Marie D'Antony Millinery, Louise McDonald Milliner, The Millinery Association of Australia. You can find a link to each of their businesses in our show notes, either in your podcast app or through our website. We greatly appreciate the support of this podcast series. If you would like to become Patreon of this Millinery Info series, there are two tiers available, a podcast sponsor, which means your business or event is mentioned in our podcast just like those. Link on our website and in the monthly newsletter. This starts from just $15 per month. Or we have a supporter tier, which is just $5. Think of it as shouting a coffee per month. It's for those who would like to more quietly show their support so we can keep producing the content you see on Millinery Info. If you have any questions about becoming a Patreon, I'd love to hear from you. Otherwise, you can sign up at www.patreon.com forward slash millinery I'm Lauren Ritchie, and it's been wonderful to bring you this episode today. I look forward to talking hats with you again soon.